Now that's a throwback song. I don't know if you sang that back in the day. I guess it came back. It came out in the '90s or something like that. '86. Okay. So, old song. Hey, that's a good song though, isn't it? And the words there that we that we heard, "Blessed be the name of the Lord," that comes from our text today in Job. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and open it there to Job chapter one, and we are going to pick be picking up in verse 13 there. So Job chapter 1, verse 13. And those words were written, even though that's an exciting song and that's a wonderful song to sing in church and it kind of gets us pumped up, it gets us thinking about the Lord and, and all that He's done for us. Those words were actually written in a time of deep, deep sorrow and suffering for Job. And that's where we're going to be this morning with Job. We're going, to, we're going to see the bearer of bad news come to Job. Paul writes in the book of Philippians to the church in chapter 4, and he says, I know how to be brought low. I don't know if you can say that this morning. Can you identify with Job? Can you identify with Paul and say, I know how to be brought low? Have you been through it before? Just, just, bam, bam, bam. Bad news after bad news after bad news. Have you been there? Have you gone through that? Have you walked a mile in Job's shoes before? I'd love to tell you that today's sermon is just going to lift us up. And I hope it does. I hope that the Lord will do that. But the story, the story invites us to get down where Job is. And we're going to even see that in the next sermon as well. Last week, Satan received permission from God to test Job in that story. But now we see that everything that Job has is stripped away all in one day. The scripture talks about how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, right? Everyone wants to be the bearer of good news. Amen. You got some, some news to tell. I know some of you, you've heard about someone that's expecting that they were going to have a, a baby. But you were told, I don't say anything about it yet. And you, you, you find that next person that you can find and you go up to them and you say, hey, don't tell anybody. And you tell them. Because you can't keep that good news in. You just want to share that good news. But what do, what do we preface every, every statement of bad news with, right? I hate to be the bearer of bad news. But. And when you've been on the receiving end of those statements. You know that unimaginable pain is coming. So how do you handle that? How do you deal with those moments when the bearer of bad news comes to speak to you? I want you to stand with me and let's hear what happens with Job, our brother. Verse 13. Now there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. If we refer to the previous section, we know that this is probably a birthday celebration because this is, this is what they did. Each on his day had a celebration. 
And there came a messenger, messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Verse 16. While he was yet speaking, while that bearer of bad news was yet speaking, there came another and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Verse 17. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, the Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young people and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose and he tore his robe and he shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this, Job did not sin. Or charge God with wrong. Let us pray together. <clears throat> Father, I know that among us this morning are some who can identify with Job. And they can identify with Paul and with David and with so many others who have lost so much. And they've learned how to be brought low. Lord, I pray that you would give them comfort this morning from your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to their hearts and minister to them. And Father, I pray for those of us that are trying to imagine what this loss must be like. That you would give us grace. And humility. Lord that we would know. And, and always realize. That every gift. Every good and perfect gift. Comes down from you. And you are the giver of all good things. But Lord. Everything that we have. Can be taken away. And so Lord. Teach us. Lord to cherish. Those that we have. Teach us Lord to cherish. Every gift that comes from you. Lord, most of all, teach us to cling tightly to you. And Lord, I pray that if there's one here that doesn't know you, that's not prepared for the day when their life would be shaken, I pray that today they would place their faith firmly in your hands 
that they would come to know the one who died so that they might live. And we pray this in his holy name. Amen. You may be seated. When the bearer of bad news comes, how will you handle it? What will you do? I want to share with you a few things that we can learn from Job about how to handle that day. Number one, we need to hold firmly to our faith. Hold firmly to your faith when the bearer of bad news comes. Job's day started out like any other day. In fact, it probably started out as a great celebration. And maybe Job was detained. He couldn't attend the celebration that was happening at his oldest son's home. If you think about that, his firstborn, the, the hope of, of his name continuing on, his posterity, all gathered together in one place, a great celebration, celebrating that, that day that he became a father. What a great celebration it must have been. That day was a great day. In just a moment's time, that day turned to tragedy. How many of you know that tragedy can strike at any moment? And at any moment, your day can go from being a great day to being a terrible day just like that. You know that that's true? You know how it happens. It's a reminder that the world around us is fallen and and that life as we know it can be shattered in a day. And it reminds us to hold on to the one thing that is permanent. The only thing that is never changing. That is our Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing else. We have people that when, when tragedy strikes they begin to panic. And somebody that's near them and they're freaking out. What do they say to them? Hey man, you need to get a, you need to get a grip. I brought my handle with me. This morning. Actually, Allison brought it for me. but Got my handle. Get a grip. Well, what do we, what do we hold on to tightly whenever the bearer of bad news comes? We hold on to His Word. We hold on to the people around us who have faith. And we, we draw strength from them. And we realize that everything around us, everything around us is temporal. But the things of God are permanent and remain. Ancient Greek philosopher Heraclitus said, There is nothing so constant as change. Everything around us is changing. Everything around us is in motion. But the one central point of the universe that never changes is Almighty God. And no matter what happens, He is on the throne. He's on the throne today. He was on the throne yesterday. And He will be on the throne tomorrow. He is the only thing that is sure in your life that you can grip hold to during those times. The story is told of a, a man who was out hunting one late one evening and his rifle was nestled snugly under his arm and he trampled out into the bush. And up ahead in the bushes was an explosion with noise and the flash of brown and white. And you, you know like the country boy hunters say, if it's brown, it's down, right? Well, out of this bush 
popped out a rabbit. And the rabbit, rather than darting away, ran toward the hunter and tucked itself between his feet. Well, the hunter was trying to discern what was happening and in the peculiarity of the moment, he realized exactly what was happening when a weasel came out of the bush that had been after that rabbit. And it stared just gaping and ready to pounce on the rabbit. But the hunter shot just below the weasel. The weasel ran away and the rabbit sat there for a moment trembling. And then finally ran off to safety. Most of us When tragedy strikes, whenever the bearer of bad news comes, we tend to run away from the Lord and pull away and drift away. We tend to try to take care of it on our own. And and we will doubt. And for many of us, there's this crisis of faith that happens and we begin to wonder, is everything that I've ever believed about God still true? What we learn from Job's test is that the Lord allows us to go through those times of trial and difficulty in order to strengthen our faith in Him and our resolve to serve Him. David said this, and if you think about David, David is a man who's not unlike Job. David suffered much. David lost several of his children in different ways. But David said this in Psalm 16, 8. And you can read all throughout the Psalms how David is constantly running to the Lord whenever the bear of bad news comes, whenever tragedy strikes. But he said this, I have set the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. David said, I'm anchoring my life to Almighty God, that's where I'm going to anchor my life and I'm going to make sure that I keep my faith and my resolve in him because everything else around me may be shaken. But if I stay true to him, I will not be shaken. And so we learn from Job. To hold firmly to our faith, but secondly, we learn from Job to hold loosely to things to earthly things and to worldly things. Why? Because in a moment they can be taken. They can be gone. Now, if you just kind of recount the story with me real quick, verses 14 through 15, we see that thieves break in and steal. Isn't that what the Lord said can happen with things on this earth? Thieves can break in and steal. They came in and they stole the animals. They killed some of the the servants. They took away camels and they took away the, the, uh, the donkeys and the oxen. But not only that, they murdered some. Look at verse 15 again with me. The Sabians fell upon them, took them, and struck down the servants. Now there's, there's a, a little bit of difficulty with translation here for servants, but some translations may say the young men. The servants. What was this? This was murder. They killed people. 
And that teaches us to, to hold our lives, our own lives, loosely on this earth. William Sangster was a, a pastor, and he went to visit a young girl who had been told she was going blind. This, that's Beethoven, by the way. I'm going to get to him in a minute. William Sangster, the little girl said to her pastor, said, Pastor, God is going to take my sight away. She'd come to, to grips with it, right? After a long pause, Sangster said, Don't let him, Jesse. Give it to him. The pastor said, Try to pray this prayer. Father, if for any reason I must lose my sight, help me give it to you. The story goes on. The little girl did lose her sight, but she gained a dog that helped her. A seeing eye dog. And she would bring the dog to church. And about midway through the sermon, the dog would begin to howl. But after a little while, when the preacher kept preaching, the dog would just simply fall to sleep. Just realized he wasn't going to interrupt the sermon. The sermon was going to keep going on. But the girl learned that in blindness... She was still able to worship and praise the Lord. Also, uh, another person that lost, that suffered loss was Ludwig von Beethoven. You know, he lived much of his life in fear of death, deafness because others in his life had gone deaf and he worried about it. He was concerned because he felt the sense of hearing was essential to creating music of lasting value that would honor and glorify God. But when Beethoven discovered that the thing that he feared the most was coming rapidly upon him, he was almost frantic with anxiety. He, he consulted the physicians and he tried every possible remedy, but the deafness increased until... He had lost all of his hearing. Beethoven finally found the strength that he needed despite his great loss. To everyone's amazement, he wrote some of the greatest music after he became totally deaf. With all the, the distractions shut out, the melodies began to flood his mind and he was able to write all of them down. And his deafness became his greatest asset to his service for the Lord. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The thieves broke in and steal, stole. Some even killed, maimed, and murdered. 
Natural disasters came. Look at verse 16. And while he was speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Some, some believe that this was probably lightning that struck or something similar to that that came down and just burned up Job's possessions. If we decide that the most important things in our life are, are temporal things, and we try to attach ourselves to them, one day, this furniture is going to burn up. Soon and very soon, these pews are going to be destroyed. All the things that we see around us in this world are temporal. And the Bible says, Peter said, that they will melt with a fervent heat. It's all going to be destroyed one day. No matter what you have. I remember almost hating my brothers whenever I was younger. Because they would take my stuff. I mean, I, I, I hear that in my home all the time. That's mine, 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 mine. Somebody said that a child's first words may be mommy and daddy, but their second words are mine. And I remember being so angry whenever they would take my stuff, break it, abuse it, not bring it back, not return it. I lost my favorite jacket that I had saved up to buy for myself. I lost my CDs. You know what they do with my CDs? They'd scratch them. Some of these young people are like, a CD? What is a CD? I don't even know what a CD is. And some of you older folks are like, what's a CD? <laughs> They'd scratch them. They wouldn't bring them back, break them. Lost my paintball gun. One of my brothers lost my paintball gun. I'm not still mad at him. I'm really not. At first, I, I tried to hold on to everything so tightly so that I would not lose it. But what I came to realize was no matter how tightly I hung to preserve those things, I lost them anyway. But the second thing I learned was in the process... I, came, I became a miserable, selfish person. When I should have been holding my family tightly. And so here's the third thing that we learn. We learn to hold our family closely. Hold your family closely. And when I say family, I don't just mean your biological family. I mean your spiritual family as well. Your family and your friends, the people that you know that love the Lord. And we should be way more concerned about holding them closely than holding things tightly. And here's the thing if you've got both hands gripped grip to the world, you don't have room to embrace those around you. 
Job was a man that had many possessions. Don't get me wrong. Having possessions, having things, that's not the problem. The problem is when the things have you and they distract you from the things on earth that are truly important. And the only thing that's on this earth that will last beyond the end of this world are the people around you. That's the only thing that's permanent on this earth is a human soul. Everything else is going to burn, but the people around you will live forever. And the question is, where will they live? Now, Job, Job did something amazing. Job did something special for his family. If you back up and you read in the previous section, the Bible says that whenever his sons and daughters would gather together and they would meet and they would celebrate and they would eat and drink together and the, the days of the feast had run their course, he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that they, the children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus, Job did continually. See, Job was concerned about the spiritual condition of his family. He was the, the priest of his family. He went on their behalf and offered sacrifices. Job was doing everything that he could to ensure the spiritual well-being of his family. What Job understood was not only was his family important, but their souls were important. And their relationship with God was so important. And so every animal that Job sacrificed on the altar on their behalf, for their, their consecration before Almighty God, pointed to their ultimate need for a sacrifice. Every, every time he went to that altar on their behalf, he was pointing to the ultimate sacrifice that would come and lay his life down for them, for their souls. He never knew the name of Jesus, but what Job was doing was he was evangelizing his children. He was, he was showing them in a, in a physical, bloody display of what the consequences of sin brings. And he was showing them that a sacrifice, a life must be given and a price must be paid for sin. Every time Job laid an animal on the altar, for his family. He was pointing to Jesus. And so the question I have for you is. Are, are you holding your family close. In that way. Now let me tell you something. You and I can't stop. We, you and I can't do anything. To change the reality. That in a moment, the people that we love can be gone. You can't do anything about that. You know, the great hymn writer Horatio Spafford, he suffered several great tragedies in his life. The, the bearer of bad news came to this man on several occasions. The first was the great Chicago fire of 1871, which people died, ruined him financially. Spafford had been a successful lawyer and invested interest uh, in, in property all around the Chicago area. And then it was all burned up. He lost the physical things, right? And then later on, his business 
was hit even worse by the economic downturn of 1873. So he had traveled to he had, he had planned to travel to England with his family to help with one of D.L. Moody's upcoming evangelistic campaigns. And, and he was late. He had a change of plans last minute. So he sent his family ahead of him to go on the ship ahead. And he was to follow later and cross back over. While crossing the Atlantic Ocean, the ship with his daughters and his wife sank rapidly after collision with another vessel. And all four of Spafford's daughters died in the shipwreck. But Spafford's wife, Anna, survived and sent him the now famous telegram that said, Saved alone. Now can you imagine when Spafford received the telegram, the bearer of bad news came to him, he opened the telegram, opened it up, and, and from his wife, he knows that the ship has sunk, but he says, it says, saved alone. Knowing that his daughters had died. Well, he did make it to England, but on the way there, he was traveling to meet his grieving wife. He was inspired to write these words as the ship passed near where his daughters had died. And he said, when peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrow like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to know. It is well. It is well with my soul. Though, though Satan should buffet, though trials should come. Let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed His own blood for my soul. And I know as Spafford looked down into those cold, dark waters of the Atlantic Ocean, he thought the same thought about his children. That he would be able to say it is well with my soul because Christ had died for the souls of his daughters. He had spent his life up to that point ensuring that they had put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You will spend eternity either close to the ones you love or you will spend eternity far away from their presence. So the question is, what are you doing now to prepare the people in your life for eternity? You can't do anything about the day that they will depart from this earth and enter into eternity, but you can do something about where they will be. You can't make the decision for them, but you can show them the way. I read about a dad who wrote letters to his family. Dads, take a cue from this. He took time to address each of them one by one. He made it a point to tell them how much he loves them and what specifically he loves about each and every one of them. And then he wrote to them about his own faith in Christ. 
That's a great example for us. Stephen Curtis Chapman, many of you know who that is. Um, more of a modern hymn writer. He and his wife, Mary Beth, adopted a little girl named Maria from China in 2004. Got a picture of her for you. She is precious. She's, just, she's described as just full of life and joy all the time. And there was a day that she was playing on the playground in their yard. And their teenage son began to drive up the driveway. And she spotted the car a little ways away. And she climbed down from the monkey bars and ran. Because she, wanted, she loved her, her older brother, her big brother. She wanted him to help her climb the monkey bars. Was just as she was running to the car and the car was turning in and up, uh, coming up the driveway, she ran in front of the car and was tragically killed. What's amazing about that story, though, is that the Lord had inspired Stephen Curtis Chapman just a few months prior to that event to write a song. And the song is called Cinderella. The name of the song. He wrote this about his little girl. Not knowing what would happen. He said. So I will dance with Cinderella. Now the beginning of the song talks about how she spins and she sways to whatever song plays. She's pulling at me saying dad I need you. There's a ball at the castle and I've been invited. And I need to practice my dancing. And he says but, but hey it's been a long day. And there's still work to do. But then the Lord presses on his heart and he says, I will dance with Cinderella while she's here in my arms. Because I know something the prince never knew. Oh, I will dance with Cinderella. I don't want to miss even one song because all too soon the clock will strike midnight and she'll be gone. Just a couple of months before she passed. But what it shows me is the resolve of a man who, who has decided in his heart to be the priest of his family. He's going to do everything that he can to make sure, to ensure that they know that he loves them. Number one. And then number two, that they're ready to meet Almighty God. Listen, we, can, we could carry our loved ones around. We could... We could do the wrong thing. And Micah, can you run up here for just a second? Micah, run up here for a second, buddy. Come on. Look at that grin. I could decide to do this. To put my handle on him. And to anchor my life to him. you know the problem with that? The problem with that is when I lose him, I lose the anchor point of my life. And the people that do that, they fall apart in a huge way. It's, it's almost like it's they can never come back from that point because They've anchored their life to the wrong point. 
So what I have to teach him to do is to anchor his life to the Lord Jesus Christ and anchor my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when it's all said and done, we'll be together. Amen. Hey, go sit down, buddy. Thank you. Yeah, you can give him a hand. He's great. So is Caleb. He's up there. And the rest of my kids, whatever their names are, I can't think of them right now. All right. We anchor to the earth. We anchor to the people around us. We can hold firmly to our faith. You know the problem with that? If we anchor, I say hold firmly to our faith, but we begin to anchor ourselves to church or we anchor ourselves to the Bible or we anchor ourselves to theology, sometimes our grip is just not strong enough. You know as well as I do, you start a Bible reading plan and about the time you get to numbers, you fall off. <laughs> you determine you're going to go to church, but things, life gets in the way and sometimes you don't make it. Maybe you wind up sick. Or maybe someone else that you love to go with, maybe something happens in their life. And you've been sitting next to that person for for 20 years, and now they're not in church anymore. And guess what you do? You fall off too because they're not there anymore. And they were the anchor point. And here's the problem. Your grip's not strong enough, and what we have to learn to do, and what Job teaches us is this. That you put the anchor point on your heart. You put the handle on your heart, and you let God... Grab the handle. That's the way it works, folks. That is the only way that it works, folks. That's the only way that you'll be able to stay steadfast when the bearer of bad news, news comes and gives you the worst news of your life and tragedy really strikes hard. The only way is if you've got that anchor point on your heart and the Lord Jesus has the anchor. That's it. Your relationship with Him. And so here, here's the last truth. Is that you place your life in God's hands. You take everything that you have. You take your children. You take your stuff. You take your own health. Your well-being. And you put it all in His hands. And you say, Lord, you can have it all. You see Job's statement here at the end in verse 21. Is, he says, naked I came from my mother's womb. In other words, I started out with nothing. Then he said, Naked I shall return. I'll go to the Lord and have nothing. The Lord gave it. Job recognized the, the source of every blessing. It came from the Lord. And the Lord has taken away. It's his prerogative. And what Job realized was that none of his blessings were deserved. Folks, you get that? None of your blessings are deserved. None of your blessings are insured. You can put insurance on all kinds of things nowadays. But you can't ensure your blessings. And none of them are de deserved. That's why they're called blessings. They're only secure when you put them in the Lord's hands. And Job said, the Lord, is, Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I knew of a, I knew of a man who had lost his wife for 20 years. And he began to grow very angry with God. 
I wasn't his pastor. But he came to his pastor despondent. And the minister consoled him and said, hey. The man said, why would God take my wife from me? And the minister said, rather than look at it that way. Thank God that he let you borrow her for 20 years. But what that, what that makes me realize is that all we have is borrowed. We're living on borrowed time. The shoes on your feet, they're borrowed from God. The clothes on your back, they're borrowed from God. The hairs on your head, they're borrowed from God. God owns it all. He owns your life. He owns it all. We're just using what God has allowed us to borrow. And so, verse 22, in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. I wonder, for you today, for me, how can we pre be prepared for that day when the bearer of bad news comes to us? And listen, you can't walk around paranoid all the time. That demonstrates a lack of faith in the God who's the God of all comfort, the God of all blessings. When we walk around afraid that we're going to lose the people in our life, or afraid that we're going to lose our health, or afraid that we're going to lose our, our money, our investments. You can't live that way. The only way that you can truly prepare for that moment is to place your life in His hands. Just come to Him in faith and say, Lord, I know that You love me. That's where it really starts. Now I want you to bow your heads. Close your eyes. Bow your heart before the Lord and just say this to the Lord. Say, Lord, I know that You love me. I want you to say that to the Lord. And then I want you to say this. I want you to say, Lord, I know that no matter what happens, you are in control. Now, if you say those two things to the Lord and you pray those two prayers to the Lord, then what reasonably, reasonably follows those two statements is for you to say to the Lord, I trust you. Lord, I know you love me. Lord, I know you're in control. And Lord, I trust you. If you mean that with all your heart, you're in the safest place that you could ever be. Now, maybe you've never come to the Lord that way. You don't know His love. You've never experienced His love in a real and powerful way, but you want it. And you're coming today and you're saying to the Lord, Lord, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. I want to lead you in a prayer to ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. So right there in your heart, I want you to say this. Say, Lord Jesus, I come to you now. I admit to you that I'm a sinner. 
I've done things that, are no, that I know are wrong and I have failed to do the things that I know are right. And I don't deserve anything that you've done for me. But Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. That you paid the price that I could never pay. You shed your blood for me. And so Jesus, I repent of my sin. And I turn to you. I ask you to forgive me. Make me a new person. Give me a new life. Put your spirit inside of me. Thank you for saving me a sinner. Thank you for giving me new life. Now I'll spend the rest of my life loving you and serving you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to have our hymn of invitation. And this is your opportunity that if you've prayed that prayer, for you to share that with us. We've got resources for you. We want to offer you believers baptism. A small group where you can grow in your faith in Christ. And a church family that will love you and cherish you. That you can serve alongside. If you need prayer, our altar counselors will be here to pray with you and for you. And if you want to join Myrtle Grove Baptist Church, you know the Lord Jesus. You've been saved and baptized. But you know that He's calling you here to join with the saints to serve. And you come as we sing together. This is your